Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Awaken the Extraordinary. I am Christy, your hostess, and thank you so much for being here. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I can't even believe December is a few days away. I mean, really not a few, like two. And um, man, this has been a year. Um, I don't, I don't know like how different from 2020 it's been. Um, I think in its own special way, it's, it's been another shit show, but at the same time, I feel like there is still a lot of good that has come from this year. And, um, I have high hopes for 2022 and I, I just can't believe it's like a month away. This time is flying. Let me backtrack a bit. Um, If this is your first time joining, welcome. If you are a returning listener, thanks so much for coming back. Um, In a really quick nutshell, Awaken the Extraordinary, a small nutshell, not a quick nutshell, a small nutshell. Awaken the Extraordinary is about choosing to thrive instead of survive. I feel like many of us, just wake up and do the same thing over and over again. And we're wondering why our life just feels like groundhog day. And I feel as though many of us just get by, we struggle, we scrape by. And I don't believe that that enables us to be the best version of ourselves. And I think it's when we take a look at our life and really make a conscious choice to be an active participant in the designing of it, we allow ourselves to imagine a life that's better than what we're experiencing now. And in doing that, I feel like we open ourselves up to thriving. And when we're thriving, we're able to be our best version of ourselves, And that's what the world needs. So Awaken the Extraordinary is just about choosing to thrive and taking the steps that we need to take to be the best version of ourselves possible. So that is my nutshell. Um, and this episode, I really wanted to focus on and celebrate, um, my son. So my son just turned four and it has been a a very wild ride. Um, as mentioned in a previous podcast episode, I had him a few weeks before I turned 40. So I had him later in life. I was actually referred to as a geriatric pregnancy, um, (laughs) which, which, you know, didn't do wonders for my ego. Um, but I was actually really thankful for it. You know, I knew I was healthy, so there were really no no concerns there, um, you know, on, on my perspective, but, you know, being labeled as geriatric, um, meant I got to see him more often. We had so many ultrasounds. We were so closely monitored and I was just really thankful for that because, you know, I know people. And I guess if you're not geriatric and everything's all good, then you maybe have two ultrasounds. And I was able to see my son so much throughout my pregnancy and, um, you know, had some really cool texts that would, you know, kind of switch to the 3d imagery. So I could get a, a more accurate representation of what my son looked like. And it was just, it was really cool. Um, I'm like getting emotional thinking about it. And the reason I wanted to talk about my son, you know, just because he's amazing, but I wanted to talk about that part of my journey because it is so important in terms of, I think just my overall journey to healing and self-awareness and without my son, I don't believe that I would be where I am today in terms of really taking action 
to create a different life for myself. I don't know that this podcast would exist without my son. And, you know, I don't believe in things happening by chance. Um, if you listen to my, my tribute episode to my dog, Twinkie, um, you know, Twinkie, his brother Snickers and my son all have the same birth date. I don't believe that that's a coincidence. And I think, you know, there, there is a plan to everything. And my son is a huge part of that for me. And, um, you know, I've, I've touched on in previous episodes, my childhood to some degree that it wasn't the best. Um, and also have hinted at the fact that my relationship with my mom is not the best. Um, it really changed. I want to say around the age of 10 or 12. Um, and then just, I feel like became progressively strained year after year. And, uh, when I became pregnant, I didn't know what to expect. Yes. I got the book, what to expect when you're expecting. Um, but I didn't expect, um, how reflective I would become, um, about my own childhood. And so I really was thinking about my son and the life I wanted to create for him and the behaviors I wanted to model for him. And in thinking about that, it really, again, started from me reflecting on my childhood. And that was a really hard thing to do. Um, you know, I would sit there and I would chat with my husband and he would share all of these memories that he had about his childhood and all of these fun things that he did with his parents. And I just told him, I said, I don't, I don't remember hardly anything good about my childhood. Not to say that good things didn't happen, but the majority of what I remember about my childhood is not pleasant. It's not comfortable. And even if there was good, I don't remember it. So what good is that? And I remember even asking my sister, you know, my sister's nine years older than me. And I said, what, what do we do? You know, I, I don't have a lot of memories. Like, did we go out and, and do things together? Did we do fun things at home? And you know, she's like, yeah, like once in a while, but we just really didn't do much, you know? And that made me really sad. And I was like, oh, well, I guess that makes sense then why a lot of the stuff I remember is just bad or me being alone because it sounds like that was the majority of my childhood. You know, I have vague memories of, you know, going to Disneyland, um, playing Scrabble. I still actually have the old, uh, like 1970s, like Scrabble. Um, I, <laughs> we actually still have the pad in there, the scorekeeping pad. And it's so funny because I looked, I flipped it over a few weeks ago and written all over the back was, I love John Stamos. I love John Stamos. I love John Stamos. And that was from my sister. Um, she was a huge John Stamos fan back when he was on uh, general hospital. I think the character he played was named Blackie, I think. Um, and so it made me laugh because I remember the posters in my sister's room. And I also just got a glimpse into the teenager that she was, because when I think of my sister, I don't see, I don't see or think of someone youthful and fun, you know, and carefree. I just don't 
see that at all. So it was, it was really like heartwarming to see that. I was like, wow, she used to be like me when I was obsessed with like Corey Haim and Joey Fatone from NSYNC. Um, so I remember playing Scrabble. I remember like one night, you know, we were cutting up marshmallows for this stuff my mom made called pineapple goo. And I remember having a marshmallow fight, um, you know, I remember going to like, it was the Del Mar fair at the time, but the San Diego County fair. I remember going camping pretty much every summer, um, in Arizona where my parents now live. And I remember those trips. Um, we would camp alongside the river. And it just, um, it was peaceful. It was quiet. You could hear the wind going through the treetops and you could hear the, the river, you know, really right next to our camp. And you could smell the pine air, just that clean air. And I think that's why being in that type of environment is so soothing to me now because it was so soothing to me as a child. The other stuff I remember is being in a home that um, had a lot of chaos, uh, had a lot of unhappiness, had a lot of arguing and yelling. And I remember being so scared. I remember being afraid my dad would hurt my mom. And then if he hurt my mom, what would he do to me and my sister. And often because my sister was nine years older, she wasn't home. I remember I was eight years old and I had a phone in my bedroom. I have no idea why I had a phone in my bedroom at the age of eight, but I remember it was this red, like Conair phone. And it was, I had a bunk bed and I remember there was a screw on the edge of my bed and the phone hung off of that. And I remember one day there, my parents were arguing for two hours and I called my friend, Monica, she was eight years old and she stayed on the phone with me the entire time because I was scared. Um, it was a very volatile home. Um, you know, I mentioned going camping with my family and I remember one year we got up there. I'd, we got up there late. My family's not the best with time management <laughs> and uh, we got up there late and I remember my dad was unhitching the trailer and he and my mom got into an argument about something. And I remember him yelling, my mom crying and yelling back. And I remember I was in the front seat. And both of the doors were open. So the driver's side door and the passenger side door. And I think I was probably seven. And I remember my parents screaming at each other and each of them had an arm of mine and they were literally pulling me in both directions, trying to get me out of the car. I think my dad was trying to get me out of the car. My mom was trying to keep me with her. And I just remember crying and screaming because I was so scared. I didn't want my dad to take me away from my mom because I didn't know what would happen. But I... I just didn't want to be in the middle of all of that. And I was literally physically in the middle. And I look at my son 
And I'm like, in three years, that was me. And I will never put him through that shit that my parents put me through. We had family friends that had two children and um, it was a son and daughter. And I think I was probably eight or nine. Their daughter was a couple years younger than me and their son was a couple years younger than her. And their relationship was extremely volatile. You know, she couldn't do anything unless he, she had his permission and um, there were often times where he would, the kids would get in trouble and it was almost always the boy that was in the worst trouble, I guess. They were much harder on him. He was a good kid. And uh, the dad would frequently take off his belt. And um, I'll never forget, like, the sound of my friend's screams. And as an adult, I look back and I can't believe my parents allowed that in their home. I only realized probably two or three months ago, the trauma that that created for me. I'd always thought about the trauma that that caused my friends. And unfortunately, my friend, the the boy, um, committed suicide about 10 years ago. And uh, I've always thought about the trauma that created for them, but I never thought about witnessing those things and hearing those things, how much that affected me, like literally until three months ago. And it was after one of my hypnotherapy sessions and I heard something and it was like, my mind was like a Rolodex flipping through, flipping through. And it landed on my dad. And I was like, that's not right. And so it kept flipping, flipping, flipping. And then it ended on this person. And I was like, okay, now I know when my husband gets that gruff tone in his voice, why it affects me so much, why the gruff tone of my dog barking affects me so much it's because of that that gruffness and then it it all started making sense and so that's the type of stuff I remember from my childhood and then as I got older um there was always this frenetic energy in the house um You know, my mom was, was always rushing to things. She was always stressed out. She was always anxious. And I just remember how that felt. And I just thought, I don't want to feel that. I, I don't want to exude that energy like with my son. To this day, I've never told him hurry up. I will say like, Hey bud, we need to get going. Or, you know, they're waiting for you at daycare. Like, let's, let's go. Like you want to, you know, you want to see your friends. You have a good time with your friends. Like, let's go. I've never once told him hurry up because I heard that all the time growing up. So all of this type of stuff started flooding back to me when I was pregnant and um, I just really began reflecting on my childhood and how I felt about it. And I don't know that I'd ever looked at things that way before. I knew how I felt about things like as, as a daughter, but to me, it added a different layer to it when it was, okay, this is how I feel about things as a daughter. And now I'm going to be a mom. So 
how does that present an opportunity for me to make different choices about how I parent my child? And as I mentioned, my sister is nine years older than me. And, you know, our parents were very similar with us. And it really kind of surprised me because as my niece got older, a lot of the things that my sister and I didn't like about how our parents and primarily my mother interacted with us, she started doing the same thing with her daughter. And it made me really sad because, and this was even before I got pregnant, because I thought you have an opportunity to, to do a complete 180. Why are you not doing that? And I feel like it, it's easier to do what you're comfortable with, even if you don't like it. So like in a previous episode, I had mentioned, you know, being in an an emotionally abusive relationship and I didn't like it and it didn't feel good, but it felt comfortable and it felt comfortable because it was familiar because it was very similar to how my mother acted with me. And so while I don't, you know, I don't know with a hundred percent certainty that that's why my sister chose down to go a certain path. I know from my own experience and even in just in my relationship with my husband, it's easier to just go with the behavior that was modeled for me because that's what I know. It's harder to think about things and like analyze them, choose to do something different and then actually do that something different and then do that something different consistently. Eventually, I feel like you do it. So when, when you start to do it so consistently, it then becomes your way of doing something. But for me, there have absolutely been times when I've had to be very conscious of how I approach something because I know, I know what my nature is simply because of what was modeled for me. And it takes a bit more work to move past that. And what I do and how I parent is absolutely consistent with who I am just as a person, but sometimes it takes a little bit more work to get through the shit. And so when I was pregnant, um, I fought a lot of battles. Um, I often had to justify to my mother why I was choosing to do things or why I was choosing to not do certain things. And it became exhausting. And, you know, I'm an intelligent woman. I'm pretty level-headed and, um, thoughtful. And, um, all I wanted was respect and trust that what I was doing was in the best interest of my son and me. And I didn't get that. Um, pretty much everything was a, 
a battle. Um, and it's just, you don't, <laughs> you just don't need that when you're pregnant, you know? And the good thing is though, I feel like in being presented with those opportunities, I guess, to explain myself, I became quite confident in my stance on things. And the more I repeated myself, the more firm my stance became. And that is not a dynamic that um, I had a lot with my mom because I lived with her off and on up until I was in my 30s. And uh, San Diego is not, is not a very uh, financially friendly place for people just starting out and or making really poor financial decisions, which I did too. Um, so to make life easier on myself, I, a lot of the times gave in, um, the battles that we had were because I stood up for myself. Um, I mean, one of our biggest arguments was because I wasn't interacting with my niece the way she thought I should, even though I was always very nice and spent time with my niece. I just wasn't doing things the way she wanted me to do them. And, uh, that did not go over well. Um, my sister had no problem, but my mom did. And, uh, once I moved out and got married, I guess like I kind of got out from under her thumb. And so flexing this independent muscle was something that I didn't have much practice in. And so throughout my pregnancy, I was, I was able to flex that muscle a lot. And, um, by the time my son was born, you know, my mom was sick and she was like, well, I'll come to the hospital and, you know, I'll just sit in the corner with a mask on. And I said, no, I, if you were sick, I do not want you in the room with a mask. I don't even want you in the hospital because what if you get someone else sick and then they go visit a baby? No. And that didn't go over well, but I'm like, I'm not doing this to be a bitch. Like I'm not doing this to, to keep you from your grandson. I'm doing this because I'm looking out for him. Like that's, this is my job now. Right. And so that was, you know, that was something that she felt that I took away from her and that's fine. Uh, she didn't get really any sympathy from me for that. Um, and then once I came home, um, even though they live in a different state, I was challenged with the fact that I wanted to continue to try to breastfeed, even though it was really hard for me. It was very hard for us at first. And she just kept telling me to quit and that I was fine on formula and he would be fine on formula too. And I said, I don't want to put him on formula. I want to try to do this. Then it was also pressure about letting certain family members see him when they didn't have the vaccines recommended by my OBGYN at the time. And that was something that I had expressed very clearly to my family members. I said, look, this is what my doctor's recommending. You know, I was new to all of this. I didn't know what anything was. That was what my doctor recommended. So that's what I did. And, you know, I had a couple of family members that were like, okay, well, we, we don't want to get those vaccines, but we respect you and 
that's fine. We'll see him in, in a few months, but it was something my mother always pushed on me, like pushed on me for months. Like there was a, a baby sign language class that, um, my husband had taken off work. So this is like eight to 10 weeks in. And, uh, my husband took off work to go to the baby sign class. And as soon as we got there, my mother left me a message again, pestering me. This is probably about the eighth time that she was pushing this really just bullying me. And I was so upset because I felt so disrespected and I was just sticking to my guns, you know, and I was in the middle of the class. I was thinking about how disrespected I felt. I went to the bathroom and I cried. And so I'm missing time with my son and my husband who took off work to go to this class because my mother just couldn't respect me. And then it was the food. It was, you know, I didn't want to give him rice cereal. And so, you know, I had to explain that numerous times and it was just, oh, (laughs) So I also called her one day, I remember, um, to just check on them and just see how she and my dad were doing. And I would post periodically on Facebook and, um, I didn't post a lot. I didn't take photos of him every day and post them on Facebook. And, uh, I called them just to see how they were. and. My mom started interrogating me about why I never took pictures of him in the clothes that they bought him and post them on social media. And I was like, "Um, mom, I don't take pictures of him every day. And even if I did take pictures of him every day, I don't post them on social media. Like I, that's not, that's not how I utilize Facebook. And she got offended and said that she thought the reason that I didn't take pictures of my son in the clothes they bought him because I can keep track was because they were from Walmart. And I was just like, mom, like, I don't care. Like you, I don't care where you get the clothes. Like, that's not what it's about, but it was me always having to fight about things. Like she didn't like that. He was in a crib down the hall from my house, from my bedroom, which was like 10, 10 steps away. We have a very tiny house. And she had said, well, you know, when I come to your house, I'm going to move that crib into your bedroom. And I said, no, you won't. That's my space. That's my home. You have absolutely no right to do anything in my home unless I say you do. And it was just this constant battle. I'm getting somewhere with this, I promise. So the nutrition thing with my son was a huge thing for her, which there's a lot to that, but it's kind of ironic that that was a huge thing for her. And, uh, my husband got into a discussion with her one night and I told him, I said, I really wish you wouldn't do that. And he said, why? And I said, because she's going to text me or call me about the conversation you had. And I don't want to hear it. And so I had my phone on silent and like 10 minutes later, I hear him sigh. And I said, what's going on? And he holds up my phone and there is a text message like 20 lines long from my mother demanding that I stop the iron supplements that my doctor told us to put my son on demanding that we do all of these things that we needed to speak to our doctor about this. And it was just demand, demand, demand. I'm like, I'm 40 years old. And if you were approaching this from a place of love, it would be different. And this is not coming from a place of love. This is coming from a place of control. And so, uh, I, I was like, give me the damn phone. And so I responded and, um, 
I just said, you know, like this is, we've talked about this with the doctor. This is not up for debate. And I said, I'm really tired of you. Like continuing to give me your opinion. Like my son is fine. He's thriving. He's healthy. He's happy. And so she responded back and she said, what's your damn problem? And so I responded back and I said, you, you're my problem. And then I picked up the phone and I went off. But I didn't go off about what was happening. I think she accused me of being inappropriate. And there's a lot of shit that I went through at the age of 14 that nobody knows about, except for a few people. And it's stuff I'll never share here. But I said, if you want to talk about inappropriate, let's talk about inappropriate, shall we? And uh, I brought up a couple of things that basically sent me into therapy at the age of 16. And she told me that I should be ashamed of myself. And so I told her, I said, no, mother, you should be ashamed of yourself. And I hung up the phone. And I then wrote her over the next month because we didn't speak. I then wrote her a 35 page letter. I was really hoping for 18 pages front and back. Make it 36. If you catch that reference, let me know. Um, but it was 35. And a lot of thought went into that letter. And the gist of it was you're not kind to me. My mom can be the best mom in the world when she wants to be. When she feels needed, when you are in the depths of despair, she can be that person. But if you're not below your lowest point, I just don't feel like she's able to be that person. And I talked about a lot of things that had been weighing on my heart for a really long time. And I was very blunt. But I was, for the most part, respectful. You know, there were probably some snarky comments that I got in there. But um, at the end, I said, I love you. You're my mom. And I want to have a relationship with you. But the way you interact with me has to change. And if you don't see any problem with how you're interacting with me, that's fine then I'm going to take a step back from our relationship because that's in my best interest. And I said, if you want to have a relationship with me, then we need to talk about this letter. But either way, like you have, like you have a choice. So if, if you think that there's nothing wrong with how you interact with me, that's fine. Our relationship is not going to be the same. And I also said, I'm not going to keep you from interacting with your grandson. If you want to talk to him, you can contact my husband. I'm not going to keep you from him. And with the exception of my mom being in the hospital a couple times over the course of a year, I didn't talk to her. I tried talking to my dad too a month later and that conversation did not go well either. I was told that I had control issues and I was the one that needed to see a therapist. And as much as all of that hurt, it made me realize My parents will never be the type of parents I needed them to be. And there are their own reasons. Like th there are reasons for that. And I have compassion for that, for them. But how they show up for me 
and how they showed up for me my entire life. I mean, it hasn't been all bad, but a lot of it has been. And so my writing that letter to my mom was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Because I think my mom is a good person. I just think she's so buried in shit and drama that that good person rarely has an opportunity to emerge. And unfortunately, like I've suffered greatly because of that. So in my doing that and writing that letter to my mom, I feel like, I don't know if any of you have seen this movie. If you haven't, you need to. Nine to five with Dolly Parton, Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin. There's a scene where it's in Jane Fonda's fantasy where like the employees are like chained to I think it's Jane Fonda's fantasy. It doesn't matter. But in one of the fantasies, the employees are literally chained to their desk. And then, you know, the bad boss man, something happens to him and you see the chains breaking. I think it is Jane Fonda's. And uh, that's how I felt when I wrote that letter to my mom. Like I felt like the bondage I'd been in for the, for the duration of my life, like I'd finally emerged from that, like I'd escaped. And in doing that, it allowed me to reflect even more on the type of mom I wanted to be for my son. And I'm very heart-led when it comes to my son. And a lot of people, I think, don't understand that. But I just go by instinct, and I feel like it's worked out pretty well. The thing that I do not have figured out is the whole bedtime thing. So if you have secrets, tips, please share them with me. But in writing that letter to my mom, I I had freedom to do what I felt was right for my child without having to explain it to anybody. And I realize now that I didn't have to explain things. You know, I, I had a choice, but there were times where I would just say, look, like I'm not continuing this conversation anymore. One of, one of the times was about like the vaccine stuff. And then she got pissed and I just didn't like the way it felt with my mom pissed at me, regardless of whether or not I was doing something that was quote unquote wrong. I didn't like the way that felt. But in doing all of this, I became much more confident with who I was, who I was as a mom, who I am as a woman. And it really got me just reflecting on what I saw growing up, what I experienced growing up and how I wanted my son to basically have the exact opposite experience. I saw my parents go to jobs they hated. I saw my mom be sexually harassed and do nothing about it. I heard and saw my parents argue 
all the time, all the time. I became so in tune with my mom's body language in the back of the car that like, I could tell just by the way she was resting her head on her hand that she was pissed or the way she would run her fingers through the back of her hair that she was pissed. All of that I learned at like the age of seven. And I don't know if that's normal, but that was my childhood. I think the sense of humor I developed as a way to get my mom to feel better after she would argue with her, my dad, she doesn't really find me funny, but (laughs) that's okay. I never saw my parents resolve an issue in front of me. They would argue cool off, but nothing was ever resolved. My family's sweepers, you sweep shit under the rug. Eventually the pile of shit's going to get so big that you're going to trip over it. Like I said, there was always that frenetic energy with my mom. It was always hurry up, hurry up. We're going to be late. We're going to be late. Nothing was ever just like chill and just like, it's fine. Like, you know, it's fine. We'll get there when we get there. Cause really like, is it going to be the end of the world? If you're like five minutes late to like a birthday party when most people don't even show up for like half an hour. Is it really going to be the end of the world? If you're five minutes late to a family holiday dinner? No, it's not. And the thing is, we were always late anyway. So I'm just like, I don't, I don't get it. But I remember that just like that hustle and that anxiety. And then I'm like, oh, no wonder I developed challenges managing anxiety and emotion regulation. Whenever I cried, whenever I was upset, I was always told, don't cry. Don't be upset. You shouldn't be upset. This person had had a worse day than you. You shouldn't be upset about your day. I was told I couldn't, I really didn't, I wasn't told that I couldn't feel anything, but if I felt something different than what my mom thought I should be feeling, or if I felt something different, if I perceived a situation differently than she did, that wasn't good. I can probably count on two hands the amount of times that I've heard my mother say, I'm sorry. One of our biggest arguments, my dad called me at work and he's like, look, I know you didn't do anything, but can you just apologize to her? And I said, no, that's the whole problem. Dad, everybody caters to her. Everybody apologizes to her. And we're not the ones that have done anything. And I'm not someone that's like apologizing for the sake of apologizing anyway. I don't want someone to apologize to me unless they mean it. Like all of this stuff about to me, like that you see in the media and this person needs to issue an apology and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, half the time, do they even mean it? Because if they don't mean it, then what good is it? The irony is my son apologizes so much and I'm always telling him, buddy, you don't need to like, you don't need to apologize for that. You don't need to say you're sorry for that. And it's just a complete opposite of me growing up my whole life. And feeling as though I had to apologize for everything. Like it's like, sometimes I felt like I had to apologize for even being born. I never did. That was a whole other argument too. In writing that letter to my mom, like I said, it, it opened up 
space for me. And I began really thinking about the life that I wanted my son to experience that I, you know, have a level of influence on. I thought about like what I wanted him to see between me and my husband and his dad. And we don't get everything right. You know, um, there's a lot of things that I see in my head that don't actually happen, but I wanted him to see like people being kind to each other. I wanted, I want him to see people loving what they do. I want him to grow up in a world where money is not an issue and any financial woes that my husband and I have, he has no visibility to. I want my son to grow up and know that on paper, someone may have it worse. Like, let's say someone's doesn't have a home and he does, but he's hurting in another way just because someone may be worse off in a particular situation doesn't minimize his pain, his discomfort. Two people can hurt. Two people can be upset. Two people can struggle. Two people can be tired. In my home, you could never say you were tired because nobody could be more tired than my mom. It's just crazy to me. Like, if you said you were tired, you always got grief. I want my son to see people have things and get these amazing things and not be jealous. I want him to see people doing these amazing, amazing things and be encouraged by it. I want him to have a mom and dad who do what they love, do things that they're passionate about. I don't want him to have parents that are complaining all the time about how much they hate their job. That's what I saw. That's why I'm doing this podcast. That's why I started my Instagram. That's why I'm starting to coach people because that's what I love to do. That's what I'm passionate about. And if he can see his mom at nearly 44, making such a huge shift in her life, then maybe he'll believe that anything is possible. I'm so grateful for being able to look at my childhood and want something different and better for my son and actually taking the steps to ensure that happens because my my son deserves the best i want my son to have a better life than i did i want his childhood to be amazing. I want him to know that anything is possible. I want him to know that he has parents that encourage him and support him. I want to encourage him in whatever he shows an interest in. I love to sing. On Friday nights, people would be out partying and I'd be at home recording cassettes using the karaoke feature on my stereo. And my mom would open the door a crack and make her fingers like a gun and go, eh, 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 eh. 
because she said I sounded like a cat dying and it needed to be put out of its misery. And she did that a lot. And I'm actually a good singer. And it's just funny because I would never fucking do that to my son. With all of this, I was not able to effectively manage my emotions. It's called emotion regulation. And um, in March of this year, I went out on stress leave because I was working with someone externally who berated me and I didn't realize it until right before I went on leave, but I'm like, this is, this is what I was subjected to for years from my mother, the condescension, the belittling, the disrespect, the basically you, you were here to make my life easier. I can treat you whatever way I want. And it just pushed me over the edge. And so I started talk therapy and really started learning the tools that um, I needed to be able to identify how I was feeling in a particular moment and why. And then what I could do to help manage that. And then through the course of that therapy, I found hypnotherapy, or um, I think it's called RTT, Rapid Transformation Therapy. And uh, I was like, you know what? I'm going to give it a try. Like, I feel so much better. Let me give this a try. And my first session was on anxiety. And literally the next day, certain things that would have made me want to run away or would have me screaming, didn't. And I didn't have to fight to manage my emotions. And I was just like, this is weird because 24 hours ago, I would have freaked out. And what you do in the hypnotherapy sessions and what I did was you go under hypnosis and that particular session, I identified three things that were traumatic in my childhood. And you visit them as a child and you talk about how you felt. And then you go back and you visit them as an adult. And it's very interesting because what comes up isn't necessarily like what you expect or the things you were feeling as a child are things that even as an adult, when you look back on that moment, you don't think about your childhood self feeling that vast array of emotions. And I think because at that, at some of those ages, you are unable to really articulate what you're feeling because you're a child. So you make all of these associations and you have to find a way to survive and get through a particular situation. But then what I learned in hypnotherapy is how much that becomes a part of who you evolve into as an adult. And then I did another session on um, self-worth. And the things that came up for me in that were pretty, um, were pretty sad. The one that I was surprised popped up is, uh, I was probably seven or eight and my dad had come to school to talk about what he did. And I remember we were sitting on. Uh, like a piano bench and he was talking to the class 
And I remember I had either reached for his hand. I think I actually went to kind of rest my head on his arm and he scooted away from me. And um, I remember feeling so embarrassed and I didn't understand why he did that. But all I knew is like, my dad didn't want me to be close to him. And that really hurt. And I didn't realize until the hypnotherapy session how much that hurt. And I look at my son, who's just the most beautiful person I've ever seen. And I want to do the absolute best for him because he deserves nothing less. And so I'm so thankful for the opportunities that I've had, which have basically facilitated this journey of healing because without it, I would not have the level of awareness that I have. And I would likely be doing some of those same things. Now, I don't think I'd be doing everything the same, but I think I would be repeating some of these behaviors that were modeled for me because I don't have that. I, I wouldn't have this level of enlightenment. Not to the degree, the degree that I do. And so although it like just it sucks to have the, the people that I feel like are supposed to be protecting you and looking out for you be two of the people that have hurt you the most in your life. I'm thankful for the healing that I've been able to do so that my son can have a different life. So that he knows without a doubt that he is loved and supported unconditionally by both of his parents. And that we'll always encourage him to dream the big dreams and go after them because why shouldn't he? I want him to know that we believe in him. And I want him to know that I made every effort to do my best. Because I know when people talk about their childhood, a lot of times, you know, the, the response is like, well, your parents did the best they could. And in some cases, maybe they did. In my parents' case, I don't think so. I think there were plenty of opportunities for them to do better and they didn't. And so with this, my son, has turned four. And I can say without any shadow of a doubt, he has been so instrumental in me becoming the person that I am today. I'm so thankful for him because, because of him. I've become a such better version of myself. And in being a better version of myself, I can show him what's possible. I can show him what unconditional love looks like and feels like. I can show him what it looks like when you decide you don't like your life and you're going to make different choices because you can. 
I'm going to show him that people need to treat you with respect. And if they don't do that, then maybe they don't deserve a place in your life. I'm going to show him that being kind to people is priceless. I think it's like those Visa commercials, right? (laughs) I'm going to show him that you can have compassion towards people, but it still doesn't mean that they get to treat you like crap. And that was a big thing too, for me, is I didn't want him growing up seeing his grandmother treat me with such disrespect because what, what am I showing him in allowing myself to be treated that way? My son has really helped shape me into the person that I am today. And I'm grateful for him every day. I love him so much. And if you have had a similar journey or you're on a similar journey, I would love to talk to you. And if this is something that you're doing, just know that I am proud of you. I know this was a long one. Thank you so much for listening. I really, really do appreciate you. Again, if this is a journey that you've traveled or are traveling, I would love to connect with you. You can find me on Instagram at Awaken the Extraordinary, or you can email me at Christy, K-R-I-S-T-I at awakentheextraordinary.com. Again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening. I know we have so much vying for our time and attention, and I feel so blessed that you choose to spend your time with me. Thanks, and I'll talk to you soon.